0: You are now listening to the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast.
1: Wait, the answer was Add 10 Gallons? Add 10 Gallons? My first thought was, we got to put oxygen (laughs) on it. Yeah, great. (laughs) (laughs) Truck's
2: Truck's on the way. (laughs) On the way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay, I've got two observations, uh, neither of which are really educated or well thought out. (laughs) 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 Which are like most of my observations are.
1: There aren't a lot of problems on a job site that can't be solved with a sack full of biscuits.
2: Today's episode of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast is brought to you by ActiGel 208. ActiGel 208 is a high-performance additive for the concrete industry that is greatly beneficial to the producer. It enables them to increase the percentage of manufactured sand by up to 100% and completely replace all the natural sand in the mix. In areas where natural sand is scarce, inconsistent, and expensive, this provides a huge benefit to any ready-mix company out there. Benefits of manufactured sand and concrete include consistent air content, improved compaction, and increased density. Now, in the past, the downside of using manufactured sands was that they were hard to pump, hard to place, and hard to finish. Well, ActiGel 208 solves all those issues. By improving suspension, stability, and the quality of the cement paste in the mix, ActiGel overcomes the old issues with manufactured sand and leaves them behind. Let ActiGel 208 improve the quality of your mix while saving money on every yard you produce. For more information, visit us at acti That's A-C-T-I-G-E-L dot com.
0: All right, everybody. We're back. The first podcast of the new year here with the At 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. We're joined with the boys as always. Paul, how's it going? Fantastic. Be in front of this microphone with you. All right. Joey? I'm good, man. Good, good. Well, we're coming to you here in January. It is the, <laughs> the first podcast of the new year and our 12th. We've made it to a dozen. Total, and we appreciate you guys being with us. Um, last time we talked to you guys, it was it was before Christmas in the holiday season. Uh, how was it for you? How was uh, how was Becca's Christmas, Paul? Uh, Santa bought
1: every toy in Target, <laughs> delivered it under my tree, and uh, I, I still don't think we've opened everything. <laughs> <laughs> so it was
0: awesome. <laughs> That's what it's all about, man. That's yeah, what man. it's all about, Joey. I mean, you you really haven't uh, had to put on your Santa hat yet since Jolene's not even not even a year old yet but uh, how was your first christmas as a dad it was good you know she's not old enough to
2: know anything about christmas but uh it was still cool you know having her there and we did stockings we didn't have a big christmas um but uh we had some had some family over we had about a dozen people over for christmas so we had a big gathering there and a big feast so it was all good
0: yeah yeah right on i mean we didn't do any traveling uh i have a huge family um, and we were missing a good bit of them this year. Um, but I did have my aunt, my, I had some Arkansas folk come up and uh, and one aunt from Texas. But usually it's like five, six from Texas, a handful from Virginia, um, Arkansas folk and all that stuff. And they all come to your house? No, um, we typically do breakfast at my grandmother's house. And then we have a family gathering about two miles up the road at, at one of my one of my cousin's places and uh usually that gets rowdy usually the uh <laughs> the afternoon gathering has about 40 to 50 people it gets real arkansas yeah <laughs> it does, Woo, it. It does. And, and we have like a, a gift exchange game that we play and uh we sing the 12 days of christmas as a group mm-hmm. and that that gets because like, we like split the groups up into like different families mm-hmm. and out of the 12 things like each group if we have six groups like each group sings 12 individually then we all sing five golden rings as a as a group mm-hmm. and um, it sounds kind of cheesy and it is and don't is get me cheesy. wrong that's all right though. it sounds cheesy that's what
1: traditions are traditions are cheesy it's hey. cheesy but it's fun it's pretty fun hey, i hung out with one couple one night over the uh over the break, we actually went over to their place. Uh, they had a new house and, and they had uh, ordered the Trans-Siberian Orchestra because uh, the guy there, he he likes to go and see them live, but they're not doing any live concerts because of COVID. So they're doing a, a live concert over a live stream. And so he ordered that, went over there to go check it out. And uh, speaking of traditions though, uh, the wife is Jewish. So so he's like working through that whole process or whatever. and, so and basically so for, they take the whole month off. So for Hanukkah... <laughs> Uh, her family and like, they were exchanging presents secretly. And he goes, yeah, we did secret Santa. She's like, no, it's not secret Santa. We're Jewish. I'm (laughs) like, well, explain to me the process. Uh, It was secret Santa. (laughs) So at least you may have some cheesy customs, but at least you're not trying to rebrand the same thing that already exists. (laughs) Yeah. We do, um, we do a gift
2: exchange where everybody in the group just like draws each other's names Mm -hmm. out of the hat. And instead of like, feeling like you have to get gifts for X amount of people. You have to get gift for one person, whoever's name you drew. And uh, we started doing dirty Christmas or white elephant or whatever you want to call it uh, yeah. several years ago. And that always gets good because people, some people will bring wine, some people bring food stuff and some people will bring like outrageous, crazy stuff. Uh, my gift this year that I submitted for Dirty Christmas was a People of Walmart 365 Day Calendar. Uh, so that was that was a pretty good winner. And uh, let's see what else was in there. There was a like you know the 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 jelly beans that are like weird flavors or whatever. Well, somebody right. submitted like a little game, but it was like super hot. They had like ghost pepper habanero jelly beans, and you spun a wheel and you had to pick. You know whatever jelly bean you landed on, and uh, so yeah, that's our tr- Christmas
0: tradition. Yeah when when I talk about the our gift exchange game, that's that's what I'm talking about. Like, like a dirty a, Santa type. Yeah, of thing. yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. White elephant, Chinese gift exchange, dirty Santa. Like there's, same thing, yeah. there's a thousand names for it. It's all mm-hmm. the same concept. Usually ours consists of uh, a lot of the gifts are alcohol related. Um, mm-hmm. There's lottery tickets in, in yeah. a lot. In a lot yep. of the games, and then sometimes they'll be like just the the worst gift ever, like like a coffee mug or something like that. But there'll be like
1: mm-hmm. a dollar bill in it. Ooh, so, yeah. <laughs> gotta watch out. Okay, so uh, I had a really big family too. We don't get together anymore, but when I was growing up, we all did. My brother, my dad has eleven brothers and sisters, oh. so Ooh. we all get to, yeah, massive. That's the that th- farm family. Yeah, and so they all had. Oh, well, it's a Catholic family. Is well, what okay. that is. <laughs> And, and so they all had ex-wives and ex-husbands too so really it was like having 20 brothers and sisters right. their exes all still came with like their new families it was crazy it's alabama get over it so we would all show up and uh we would do the dirty Santa. and i can't Im- i can't imagine how pissed off they must have been as adults because there were a lot of times where like the kids got the good gifts because they were freaking crafty man and you got to watch out, man. And so sometimes these kids would go home with some baller presents and you'd have some grown man over there with a coffee mug or a nutcracker or something. <laughs> <And he's> like, <laughs> <laughs> he's extremely upset. Oh man. It's fun. It's fun. I, think, well, I, I think the most hot item one time, it was like a, a Dale Earnhardt memorabilia type of thing. And people were going to come to blows over that. My family, my
0: family, get along with your family.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My uncle has a whole wall dedicated to Dale Earnhardt decorative plates and clocks. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one, more, uh, one more, one uh, more, Christmas game that I heard about. I heard about it over the break. I was talking to a friend of mine and uh, his wife's family. They're a little bougie and rich. Apparently they hang ornaments on the tree, like the, you know, the glass ball ornaments or whatever. And they put money in them ranging from like a hundred dollars to a thousand dollars
3: and they hang
2: them all over the tree and it's uh you get to pick you know you get drawn you get drawn at whatever random order and you go and you get to pick an ornament off the tree so you have a chance of getting and it may be like a wider range than that maybe a dollar to like a thousand dollars or something crazy but anyway they put money in these ornaments and you can go pick an ornament off the tree and you open it up see how much money you get and uh, this this guy was telling us, it was in a group message, he was telling us about all this. He goes, does anybody else's family have anything like this? I was like, dude, we were lucky to have a dollar bill and the plastic egg in Easter. <laughs> <laughs> that was the money egg. That was that the world. golden egg. That, that was the golden egg. You got a dollar when you were seven years old? Come on.
0: Yep. Yeah, well, you, would, you would shake the egg, and if it didn't make a change sound in there, you knew you had some money. and
3: <laughs> you, you knew how to bill.
1: <laughs> you think that 34-year-old uncle was mad that he got the nutcracker and you got the Swiss Army knife? Imagine how mad he'd be if the 7-year-old got the $1,000 <laughs> right. and he was sitting over there with uh, George Washington staring him in the face. <laughs> right,
0: right. They're probably the same family that give cars for Christmas as, as gifts, like in the commercials. Those <laughs> I never, families I, aren't real. I, I was never they able to relate up. with that. But. made that up. No doubt. never came out to the driveway with something with a bow on it yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and that, that, i love i do love that one gmc commercial where like she gave him a his and hers watch and he's like oh i got us something and he walks out his and hers uh, denali's out front and, <laughs> and she runs over and takes his truck from him i just <laughs> I, I die every time <laughs> but nobody's buying two denalis at christmas Who, what are they They're like point zero one percent of people that have ever done that get out of here i'm
0: sure i'm sure there's some out there but they're very few and, and they're not concrete
1: people they're not listening yeah, they don't to the they don't <laughs> sell act <of> <laughs> No sir. but speaking of christmas traditions i've become gladly accustomed over the last decade to enjoying christmas with act of competing for national championships and you on said act of jail did i well yeah. hey that too actually now i'm thinking about it you could restart that if you want. <laughs> No, I actually you know I like that I messed up. The (laughs) University of Alabama is competing for a national championship on January 11th. And so the next time that we have conversations in front of these microphones, I hope that uh, we are national champions and I'm celebrating on the graves of Ohio State. I, I got
0: to be honest with you, man. I mean, I'm, I'm always going to root for the SEC given the opportunity, but I've never been more of an Alabama fan in the playoffs because, one, I hate the fact that Notre Dame even made it in, especially over Texas A&M. I hate the fact that they're perpetually overrated. Trash team. They're perpetually overrated, and when whenever they get the opportunity to prove that they're not overrated, they prove that they're overrated every single time. But, hey, as long as ESPN is still putting the games on television, Notre Dame's going to be there given the opportunity.
1: Well, please we not know who's <laughs> not ever going to sponsor this podcast. ESPN. Love well, it. I did, I did just cancel my ESPN plus subscription good yesterday. For so.
0: Good for you. And <laughs> then, and then secondly, I don't like Ohio <laughs> state that much either. Actually, I don't think anyone does. No, so, especially this year. The first national championship where most of the country's actually rooting for you.
1: Hey, that wasn't uh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be the lesser of two evils. I mean, is there any fan base? Look, people want to give Alabama fans a hard time, but I mean, really, is there any fan base worse than Ohio State fans? They've got to be the worst. Mm. Oh, you <laughs> had to
0: think about it.
1: That depends on who you ask. Oh,
2: <laughs> every I hate every Florida so much, though. So it's kind of uh, just, Florida's
1: at the top of every worst list imaginable for me. I feel like if I like, go on a national basis, people that just aren't around Florida fans very much just don't. Just don't understand. Cause Florida fans yeah. don't travel like an Ohio State State fan. I feel like feel like you got more of those yeah. spread out around the country. But
0: what about Texas fans when they were good?
1: I don't know, it's kind um, of just you now. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> they win one mid-tier bowl game.
2: Hey, we're
3: back. <laughs> yeah.
2: They're the other UT. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man. Well. Good luck. Good luck to the uh, Crimson Tide. I'll be I'll be rooting for you for sure. I'm also like a closet Nick Saban fan. I think is a no. dude.
1: Goat. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm nervous about the game because anytime like one team is heavily favored or the other, and I don't know if you guys are paying attention, but what all, is the line? I don't know, but it's more than it should be. And last time I looked, it was seven and a half. Ooh. But yeah, it was a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if it came down. But uh You look at the award circuit, and our wide receiver won the Heisman. He also won the wide receiver award. It's uh, Maxwell. Bolitnikoff. But he also won the Maxwell, which is the most outstanding player. And then our QB won the Davy O'Brien QB award. Our left tackle won the Allen Trophy. Our center won the award for that. I'm pretty sure our running back won the Doak Walker. We won everything, and that makes me super nervous. Usually doesn't work out. Never works. never works (laughs) out so so nervous yeah i hear you i hear
0: you. well if there's one coach that can keep the the rat poison reporters away from the players <laughs> I, think,
1: I think jalen hurts used rat poison in an interview with the eagles really with <laughs> <or> a reporter <laughs> i couldn't be mistaken but i think he did and i'm just gonna imagine that he did i really liked it <laughs> all right all right boys well
0: we made it into the new year and all all traditions and holiday gatherings aside let's uh let's get into the the podcast and start talking a little bit about concrete um what's what's uh piqued your interest what do you got your mind on as we head into the new year joey
1: had something interesting
0: go ahead joey yeah you know we're talking
2: about traditions we can keep going with the tradition that we've had on this podcast of uh talking about things that produce co2 emissions and also strange things that you put in concrete. So we'll just keep that going with this article uh, that I found. It's talking about putting uh, wood waste uh, and mixing it with recycled concrete and basically making concrete out of it. Uh, What these guys at the University of Tokyo are doing, they're uh, taking ground up pieces of concrete. So they're taking recycled concrete and they're making it down into a powder. Uh, I don't really know the gradation. I don't know if it's as fine as, you know, cement, or if it's like a manufactured sand, you know, type of product or what's really going on there. So they're grinding this up, they're grinding up this concrete, mixing it with water and they're adding lignin that comes from uh, wood waste and the lignin is actually what's binding the concrete particles together. So lignin is acting like it's it's cement. So I thought that was pretty interesting. It didn't really go into how they're what they're doing to this wood waste or what kind of wood waste or i didn't really get into any details about that but i just thought it was pretty interesting that they're taking you know two recycled products and they're making concrete with it you know usually we talk about you know recycled concrete aggregate we're talking about manufactured sand or we're talking about you know some kind of fiber that's made out of whatever material that's maybe a byproduct or a waste product but in this case they're making all or they're making concrete out of all recycled uh material which i just thought was pretty interesting and they're saying it has uh it has more bending strength than regular concrete so i guess it's flexible which may be good in like high winds uh for skyscrapers or i don't know what they what they really have planned for this material but it's got this it seems like it has a good flexural strength um and the, i thought this was interesting but I, and i don't really know where they're really what the plan is with this it says because of the lignin in the concrete uh the the actual concrete could biodegrade uh after you know after it's discarded so i don't really know if they're gonna spray this stuff with some kind of sealant to keep you know to preserve that life or what the plan is for this concrete material so that was just something i thought was pretty interesting um and at the end of the article, they say that adding wood waste to cement and mortar made uh, made the concrete more stronger and watertight. So it's pretty cool things that they're doing with wood waste and concrete
1: over in Tokyo. Yeah, it's it's not unheard of for ligand sulfonates to be used as additives in concrete. That's, uh, that's been done before. Um the the issue becomes supply and variability mm-hmm. so as long as can buy a consistent product and then that, that's it's almost like a basic technology where things have advanced so far that people really just got away from it mm-hmm. uh, but it's cool to see the researchers are going back and saying hey this may have been done before it may be old but we could refresh it we could bring it back into the you know 21st century and and make it uh make it viable as a renewable resource
2: yeah and i don't ever anticipate it like completely replacing concrete construction or anything like that but it's just you know they're using two byproducts or they're using two products that would otherwise just be discarded or you know whatever and they're mm-hmm. just making concrete out of it
1: no it is cool i mean it, it'll have application somewhere yeah you're right it's not going to take over the ready mix market mm-hmm. but it's got application somewhere It's
2: awesome I'm just interested to see how what that recycled concrete looks like when they start mixing it up with this lignin. Like I said, they they kind of hinted at an in the article that it was more like a powder or mm-hmm. you know something fine like that. Maybe they ground it down to a sand. Uh, so I don't know. It it'd be it'd be neat to see some more research done on it. See a quote unquote mix design for this stuff because they just talk about water, recycled concrete, and lignin. And that was the three ingredients that was in this mixture so i don't know if it just looks like a cement paste when it's all done or if it looks like uh you know like flow fill or something like that i
1: don't know yeah i really don't know i'd have to see it have to see it in person but i mean they make these geopolymer cements now that allow you to make concrete with just any kind of trash sand or anything you want and you know they do their best but again it's all about consistency These new products, it's very, very, I mean, I'm talking to the choir here on this podcast, but uh, for the audience out there, you guys know it is very difficult for new products to enter into the concrete market. And so you've got to show consistency, lack of variability, and constant technical expertise. As long as you can add value through each of those stages, then you got a chance to survive. And so whether it's a geopolymer cement or a, a lignin based recycle aggregate ground thing or, or you're putting wind turbine blades in the concrete, whatever it is that you're trying to do, uh, it takes time. It takes time and it's it's tough and, you know, it's it's exciting though. it's exciting to look at it start. And, you know, a lot of times it starts in a university setting and then, you know, maybe 20 years from now. Unfortunately, that's how long it takes for some of these technologies in this industry. Right it could take easily 10, sometimes 20 years for things to really get uh, get a hold in, in some kind of market. Uh, maybe not dominating ready mix or dominating cement, but you maybe get your foothold and uh, maybe they find a, a great place in architectural precast or something.
0: Well, speaking about eliminating variables and improving consistency, that's a good segue into our guest. He's a volumetric guy uh, with Coastal Gunite, Marcus Vanderhoffen. And we know him from the American Shot Crate Association, and he's been all around the country, heck, maybe even all around the world. And he'll get into that here in this interview, you know, making concrete with uh, with all types of different materials and uh, different sources uh, and in different applications. But um, we'll get into we'll get into all that and the variables and and how he deals with all those variables and uh, how he deals with it on the volumetric side of things. Uh, with the equipment that he uses and the company that he works for. Um, so, without any further ado, this is Marcus Vanderhoffen with Coastal Gunite.
2: We'll go ahead and get started, Marcus. Thanks for coming on with us. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to somebody else from ASA. We had a Mason on here; he was our second guest, I believe. And so, uh, maybe here in the future, we'll have a bunch more ASA guys, and uh, we'll see where the future takes us after this episode. But Marcus, tell us about uh, what you do, company you're with. You know, I I know this, but just kind of bring us in to what you do currently in the company you're with.
3: So I'm with the Coastal Gunite Construction Company. I've been with them uh, about almost a decade now. I'm uh, originally from the the West Coast. I've been in the shotcreen industry for the past 25 years. Um, Had a good run out there. Uh, company got bought out. Uh, I knew the ownership of this company and, uh, i been out here ever, ever since.
2: What, um, so with coastal gun, Eye, what kind of work do you do? Is it a lot of underground or do you use, uh, residential civil or, uh, what do you do? So, uh,
3: so I'm the, the C COO, a big name for really the glorified, uh, firefighter and estimator and, uh, multi multitasker. Um, we operate uh pretty much on the east coast in the uh what we do a lot of of underground uh from culverts to to uh shavs and uh, stuff like that we have another division that we like to uh call our bridge division and and we'll do um gunite uh but but more uh substructure repair in general metalizing uh pile jackets uh, anything to do with the, the work that's underneath the bridge deck. and uh, But when it comes to Shot Creek, you know, we'll look at everything except pools. Tell Mason that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave all that up to Mason then. He's got that covered. Yeah. <laughs> Is it? Is there a reason for that? You just don't want the headache, or is?
3: Believe it or not, the pool industry is—you know—it's not easy. We, you, you visit us there, part of the ASA, and uh, we give the pool guys a hard time. But the the reality of it is that it it's not an easy um, business to be in. It's very competitive, and and you know, doing it right. To be be honest, I couldn't take some of my crews and just go out and be in the pool business. I have built pools uh in the past when i was on on the west coast but the group uh that i'm with now you know it'd be completely foreign to them so it's it, there's not this just because you're a shock creator crossover to uh, being able to do that type of work
2: right that's understandable
3: I and, and mason you can tell mason again i actually respect the pool industry you know i didn't, <laughs> didn't badmouth it. it didn't
2: We'll save the bad mouth the bad mouthing for after we uh, record. Then you can you can then you can speak freely about Mason. You know. There you go. <laughs> um, so you said you do gunite. Is that the, are you running meter trucks? Do You do some bag mixes.
3: Uh, what's the operations there? So we do both. In in uh, for those of you not in in the business, and I'm old. Uh, it used to be gunite and shotcrete. Shotcrete was the word for for wet mix. Uh, shotcrete in, in uh, gunite was the word for dry mix. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we were running dry mix operations, believe it or not, we go all the way back to uh, uh, site batching where uh, we're, we're using volumes in a bucket and breaking bags uh, to using a volumetric truck, uh, pre-bag mixes. Um, there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff out there in, in uh, some of the bag material, some rapid set cement, some stuff that uh, is a you know a part of the industry. But we do it for you know, we'll scare people and show up with a an old N three double chamber gun, and you know it's, it's got levers and contraptions on it. <laughs> people look like what? It's like should be on an old steam engine or something. It's, uh, so um, we do it all, man. I, I in uh, it just really depends upon on the situation.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think the the gunite and shotcrete terminology is something I picked up from ASA pretty early on when I started hanging out with you guys, and I kind of, I guess, I brought that to AMI where we work, and everybody now they know when I say gunite, I ninety nine percent of the time am referring to dry mix shotcrete, you know, so to speak, you know, or the dry mix process, and then when I say shotcrete. They immediately think, you know, wet mix, you know, either delivered by ready mix or even metered, but it's, you know, wet mix. So that, uh, that was pretty, that was something that interesting that I learned early on from ASA and, uh, we'll stick to ASA. What was your initial roles or what was your initial involvement in ASA and where'd you go from or what brought you to where you're at now?
3: Um, see, here I go. I'm going to date myself again. I'm actually, uh, member number 50. I'm one of the charter members uh, when the ESA was um, put together uh, back 1998, 99. Um, it's on my wall somewhere over there. But uh, I, I got brought in by a man named Larry Totten, and he was uh, president of uh, Johnson Western Gunite, which was also a shot company, not a gunite company, to be honest. So I got I got brought in at the very beginning where the, you know, the first goals of it were to put together the uh, NASMN and certification and, and try to, you know, get some more legitimacy to, you know, shock creed as a whole and uh, and spread that around. I've always been involved in the, in the ACI also, but ASA was a way where, you know, we could be more focused to uh, promoting the industry than just you know putting together documents uh you know to, specs and that type of stuff
2: right and to, you know for everybody that doesn't know uh, that's listening the asa stands for the american Shotcrete association uh that's the that's the organization we're referring to we came on board uh, as members in 2013 so we you know we've been in been involved for several years now and i've got to meet marcus and you know mason that we've referred to and there's been a great many others uh, that have been, you know, pivotal to the direction and future of that organization. What do you see for the future of ASA and for maybe Shotcrete in general? Is there something? Is there a certain thing kind of brewing up in the Shotcrete industry that you think is going to really make an impact on people using more Shotcrete or change
3: the way that you do things? Well. Shockrete's always been kind of said as a separate term or a separate word to concrete. But people that have been in the industry have always known that it's just a method of placing concrete. It's not an actual different thing, which uh, just recently, for those of you guys know know about the ACI, and uh, 318 is the overall uh, concrete god. (laughs) I mean, it's... and they finally have decided that shotcrete is concrete, also. And so, basically, what that what that means for a lot of the people out there that you know, I, I talk to engineers and, and different people all the time, and go like, "Well, what do I have to do different for for shotcrete? What? How's it different? What's the design difference?" And the bottom line is, is that there's no difference it, from the design world and, and what you think concrete is. Shotcrete, shotcrete is concrete, and you know, we could talk about making you know rebar configurations and some stuff different to make it a, a more shock readable situation but from a from a design perspective it's it's been accepted so um, that's a huge thing a huge barrier that the uh, industry has spent you know the 20 25 years I've been in it trying to get over and it. Uh, it, it it should really help the industry yeah
0: Marcus, you talk about how now shotcrete is concrete and concrete is shotcrete, you know, like you just said, but uh, you know, in, in the general overall ready mix market, there's a lot of things you can do to get creative for better or worse. Sometimes it works in the adverse, but I mean, you're talking um, there's lightweight aggregates and there's all kinds of different admixtures that are being thrown around and people are getting more and more, should I say, quote unquote, creative every day, but there always seem to be, at least to me anyway, a difficulty in getting too creative or too involved in a mixed design, especially on a dry gunite process, as it pertains to uh, water reducers and accelerators and different types of aggregates and gradations and so on and so forth, um, is there a way to overcome some of those shortcomings, or would you argue that it's almost more beneficial to um, keep it simple in a way with uh, the limited amount of bin space you guys might have?
3: The years that I've been doing it, in uh, you know, Joey's got some great stuff that he's working with it, a lot of the things that have grown from plasticizers and water reducers and air and train and stuff it's all stuff that we utilize exactly the same I mean there's there's things uh, you know obviously when you're you're dealing with a dry batching situation versus wet mix um, you're talking about powders, you're talking about some different things, but we got workarounds all the time of of, of putting it in the water and and doing some stuff. So I see all the the innovation to concrete in general, into the thing to really be 98% of it applicable to uh, what you can do with shot creep. The hardest part is is that acceptance in those rules. And one of the things that like, I work almost solely in the public um, works, type of stuff. So I'm, I'm doing hard bids with people that don't want to talk about it. They're kind of set in their ways. They, they have an idea and, and they don't want to be first. Um, but you know, the market, the the private market is a little bit more open to hearing stuff that's going to be solving their problems. And so, you know, if you wanted to ask me how to get to it, I would get to more engineers that are in that, you know, solving division and people, people, the private market want it done their time, you know, they don't, if if you can give them something that's going to get them a better product for a better price, they're, they're more apt to listen.
1: Absolutely. We find that ourselves now uh, we've got some friends in Canada and now normally I'm not looking for the United States to model other countries, but in this case, uh, it, it may behoove us to find out exactly what they're doing. Because uh, our friends in Canada are forecasting the shotcrete market is going to explode on the East Coast. It already is doing pretty well over in British Columbia. And they think that technology is coming over to Ontario and Quebec. And what they're, what they're forecasting is, is that uh, the, the application of shotcrete, you know, applying concrete, casting it in place via the shotcrete method, is going to explode and they're selling this successfully to the ANEs and and to the, the project manager, you know, the general contractors and saying, hey, we got a new uh, sub. Yeah, I mean, you could do crane and bucket for this or you could pump this all this way or, or however it is you're going to cast this in place. But there's another way to do it. There's another way to apply it in this shotcrete. So I don't know, Marcus, if you're familiar at all with how they're selling it, but uh, they think they're successful with it and they think it's going to explode
3: all right now i'm going to give you the old old school version the uh you know wet shot shotcrete and subterranean work's been going on since the 50s and 60s but the real change came uh in the 70s with the advent the sidewinder pump swing tubes basically the horsepower and stuff turned what used to be dry mix and used to be hard to do into very doable on the West coast. And I started in, in 95, but I can tell you in, in the nineties, in late eighties, that 98% of your substructure parking garages from regardless were built shot creep method from, from Seattle down to to LA. And uh, that technology that is, or it's not technology, it's just people, I'm now on the East coast. People don't see it so much on the East coast, but that, that migrated basically from California up through, uh, the state of Washington into Vancouver, BC. And, um, I'm from Seattle originally. And so, you know, I, I saw it going up there and then it kind of, uh, moved some more, uh, laterally across Canada, but it's, you know, that basement work is just not as prevalent on the the East coast. You can, You know, Joey's probably looking around it all the time, but it's, you know, I, they are starting to get it, but um, it kind of still shocked me when I came across the country that, hey, these guys aren't doing this on a regular basis. And I'm, I'm like explaining to something that to, to on the West Coast, they go like, huh? Everybody does it that way. That's, you know, it's not even thought of. So um, I hope more of the stuff. I know a lot of uh, Canadians. Myself, we got a lot of uh, involvement in the ASA from from those guys, and I and I hope that you know more and more um, people just understand that it's it's the it's got to be about the money in one way, but it's it's the effective way of doing a lot of one sided form situations of, of placing concrete. And everybody goes like, well, how thick? You know, hey, I've done walls that are. 48 inches thick i've done walls that are six inches thick i've done you know it's it's really um it's a lot more vast and than people expect or understand
2: do you think uh, the reason for that is that the guys in the east just haven't heard of it yet or are they just setting their ways and maybe have heard of it and just don't know how to do it properly or what do you think there's what's the reason for
3: that I think that one that probably the the availability of contractors that really know that industry has been different for them than it than it was on the West Coast. I mean, you know, there there was decades of of groups in Northern California. We had an office in uh, San Leandro, which is a nice way of saying Oakland, uh, LA, and Seattle, and uh, there just was a lot of people that understood it and were doing it and that I never, I did not see that as regular out on the East coast. Now, you know, some people have brought it into Manhattan and some other places, uh, in a bigger scale, but I I just think it was something that they weren't used to. And the other thing, which is kind of funny because I live down in, in Florida now. Um, well, the whole state of Florida has got all these buildings, but they don't go down. You know, in in your your limits of space and in how you have to uh, to build buildings and how you utilize it. I mean, we were building uh, seven story underground parking structures in Seattle in the eighties, and in Florida, I think you know, hey, if you go down one story, that's like a milestone around here. You know, they they've still got some property, so. Long and short, uh, I think it's just what people were used to for a long time. I don't think that they, you know, it's not like you don't know, but it it's just not the way you do think so.
2: Yeah, I think uh, you think ASA will have a part in that. Like, I know ASA is continually educating more and more folks on, you know, the benefits of shotcrete in somewhat, you know, quote unquote conventional construction. It can be utilized a lot more places. Uh, do you think ASA is going to have a hand in that? I
3: think they help in that. I mean, the bottom line is, is that you can get on that website and you get involved in it and see that it's a very legitimate operation. And you're not breaking new ground. People, you know, that's what scares them the most. Is like, well, hey, I'm not really all that interested in trying something new on my $30, 40000000 million project or $200 million project. I need something that's proven. And if anything, the ASA, you know, with their magazine and the rest of the stuff, joy where where you can see hey a lot of guys are doing this um, every day look at stuff kind of like the you know the rock carving thing and and it it really came to pass for me on the west coast 15 years ago or something became quite pro- popular and now um, you know again it seems to it, it seems to spread out and and people realize whoa you can get a really good looking project and that started in like the zoo industry and in mm-hmm. other things and then and then came part of uh, what's going on on highway work and and other stuff so it's constantly growing you, you just got to keep helping people try to you know get comfortable with it and know that that hey they're not having themselves exposed by you know putting it putting shotcrete and stuff into their job
1: yeah that's interesting that joey asked, is asa going to promote it because uh you know i'm not as familiar with the inner workings of that organization as he is and i know but i do know that the nrmca when they have a, a targeted focus like right now they'd like more roads to be paved using concrete rather than asphalt so they designed an actual uh, promotion strategy and they've got their marketing and they got their sales pitch but they've also got a person like they've got like a guy or two that like this is your actually i think I think there's females on that staff too. So I don't want to just say guys, but they've got a team and their only goal is to go out and spread that message and try to and convince these uh, A&Es, these project owners to switch to concrete paving. So I didn't know, if there, is there a person or a team inside of ASA that has that same kind of function, and, and could they help spread that message?
3: We kind of started years ago. It was always been to promote and expand the use of shot crew and uh, about I think it's is it three years ago that we did the um, director thing and and became kind of our own entity. I mean now we we're not really part of uh, using the ACI program or other ones. We're uh, we we have our own technical director. Um, our staff is is growing. Uh, our technical director is my age, so I can pick on him a little bit. That now we're learning. Uh, more of the social networking and other ways to to uh promote things um you know i'm so old that i'm pre website i'm pre computer <laughs> pre website and i remember explaining to my my boss 20 plus years ago that i don't want any of these phone books around here that you sending up here. We do this stuff on the internet. I just got a high speed, you know, i was the first guy with a DSL line. And and so uh and he would he would try to race me and, and go and I can find it in the phone book faster than you can find it with that, you know, computer thing that you got. And so it's all kind of grown at the time and now the ASA the has always been there to promote the the use of it, but we're getting better, I think, at, at showing um, showing our stuff on on social media and we're and we're putting people in the group that do that kind of thing that are uh, familiar with it. So
2: I know it was brought up that and it's been mentioned before by I think Bill Drakeley has mentioned it a few times and a few other guys in ASA about needing some young blood in the organization to take on leadership roles. And I think Mason has done an excellent job of that. Mason, I think is maybe my age, he may be a touch older. Um, but he's really taking it by the horns, and I think he's—is he chair of the pool and rec committee now? Or I, I know he's—he's he's taking some on—he's taking some leadership roles uh, within ASA. But was there a push, like, by the ASA to get more young people in there? Like, was a—was there an organized push for that?
3: You know, I've always been—I'd like to say that I was trying to be part of that. I've always said that we need to have. New people and fresh faces, and have a thing. Um, you know, when I first started the the ASA, some of the guys, some of some of them are gone uh, up now. But you know, there was just really this old guard that were doing their thing, and were set in their ways. And when I first joined the the ACI was pre the ASA, and when I first joined up. I don't know how old I was, but they pretty much wouldn't even talk to me. I mean, you know, I remember the first time that the chair of the of the uh, specification ACI 506 specification said hello. To me it was probably 10 years after i had been attending you know he like said something to me like recognized that i was a human being or part of this this thing and i've always said you know and i'm, I'm thankful for guys like mason young people involved and, and mason's in line to become you know uh, one of an asa president i'm a past president that was about a, a decade ago but um yeah i think that it's super that he's coming along he's got some some other guys uh you know ryan He's outspoken. You know, sometimes people aren't that comfortable of, of, of getting in there, but we're finding we're finding more and more people. And I, I think that we're, we're turning the corner on that, that, seeing that you'll see another generation that's that's been in this business, you know, participate a lot more at the ASA.
2: Yeah, I noticed uh, Ryan Oaks uh, is who you're referring to. He jumped in feet first uh, when he came on ASA. I remember first seeing him at a meeting. And the first time he was at a meeting, you know, he was getting involved and he knew the – he knew the questions to ask. He knew how to answer questions. And uh, he's done a phenomenal job down in North Carolina uh, building his business. We're trying to get him on here, too, uh, because I know he's.
3: What? Not he's not yet. on yet? I'm, at least I'm in front of Ryan. Good. I'll Tell him that I'm badmouthed him a little bit. He ruffled some feathers when he first joined up, but that was good. That's what I liked about him, that he. Uh, you know, he had his business. It's obviously, he, he he cared a lot about it, and he wanted to participate. And that's hard to do sometimes. Some people don't want to participate. They want their name on a committee or do some stuff. And, and Ryan's not like that. And I remember him, you know, saying he was doing some stuff, and, and some of the old school guys, including myself, said, no way. And, and he, got, he got a little bit out. We were, of course – not that we ever had a cocktail late after any of those meetings or any of that stuff goes on, he he meant to me that he was kind of bent out of shape. Somebody you know called him, and I said, "Well, I was one of those guys, Ryan. I called you on it. You know, all you got to do is do what what you say, and if you believe it, you know, don't back up, don't get upset about it. It, it, because I feel like that was a lot of how it was for me coming in. That that uh, I got a lot of. Well, who's this guy? Who 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 does he what? How does he think he's somebody to, to be in there? And you and you got break through. So I'm glad for Ryan. I'm glad for for Mesa. I'm glad for a lot of the people that you know care about the industry and are willing to speak up about it. It's very yeah, Ryan important.
2: also um, he's won some awards through ASA uh, at the you know at the annual banquet uh, for some of his projects. Uh, I know you you and the, and Coastal have won awards as well. What's a unique project that maybe sticks out among
3: all the other ones that you've done? oh um i got two of them that kind of stick with me forever uh years ago i did the washington state capitol dome which is the fourth largest dome uh in the world i think i mean it's so pumping wet mix shot creep back then people were still saying that you couldn't do it very far and it was hard so i ended up doing the the upper part of the dome and pumping through about, which is nothing now, about 675 feet of uh, of slick line that I had to weave through stairwells and get up. The building was still occupied and and got up there. And at the beginning, the guys were saying, this has to be done, dry mix. You can't do this, blah, 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 blah. And I remember sticking to my guns and uh, saying, you're wrong. This is, this is the way to do it. This is how we do it now. And if you want to encase big steel, this is how it, how it's happening. And I put my, you know, felt like I put my neck out and we got it done and it, and it, it worked quite well. The second one to me was uh, the experience music project, which is also in, in the state of Washington in downtown Seattle, which was about a hundred thousand square feet of Frank Gehry, um, Design. So if you if you look at the building on on uh, the internet or something, you see it. You see this uh, sheet clad you know metal stuff that's all over the top, but underneath that is a undulating roof, crazy blob. I don't know what you want to call it of uh, of five and a half inch thick shotcrete shelf. So it's a structural thing. Never been built before. People really didn't know how to do it. I came up with a stupid idea at the beginning. I wish I would have charged for it, but I, I, kind of said, you know, we can put mesh over this thing. So you got something to hook to a heavy mesh that you can walk on and you can hook to, and there was kind of areas where you could land stuff. But I said, it's going to create a safety net that you can always use. And it's kind of like doing a big paper shape job. And then I, I said, well, yeah, but you can't shoot on that. Um, so then I'd take a, like a heavy screen, like a screen door material and tie it on there. And then now the shotcrete's not going to, you know, you might get a little bit of penetration, but you could build this and you got a decent forming system. And it was pretty much with a couple of guys, just like we're sitting here today. Only the one guy was uh, vice president of uh Magnuson engineering and, and another guy. And they were like, all right. So <laughs> same thing we we built a, a test panel had a bunch of naysayers bunch of people saying this is never going to work you never yeah cuz one of the things is that that shotcrete you want your steel to be rigid and everybody's always afraid of movement but my concept was so as we load this thing up you're going to get deflection you're going to get movement but if the steel the rebar and the form load in unison that they move together that while we place it it's still going to work and uh luckily enough it turned out to be right they we did this mock-up and they court it and went like dang I guess, I guess it works and and uh, i'm not sure they had another way to do it they probably can accept it anyway but they uh those are the two ones that you know again it, it's kind of nice to be in those situations where people haven't done something and it's naysayer and you're a little nervous yourself going like, eh, I hope I'm right. <laughs> we can do this. And and then it works out in your favor. So,
1: Marcus, that's like the first five years of working at active metal
3: <laughs> i I thinking the exact same
0: thing. If I, if I had a dollar for every time I was on a job site, I'm how it was going to turn out.
3: I'd own this money. <laughs> well, just remember, touch when you get some of those victories, if I had to go back, I'd go like, on it couldn't I have charged for something that some of that now I go now I walk in and, and go like I can figure this out I'm not going <laughs> to tell you <laughs> Marcus
0: correct me if I'm wrong or, or kind of elaborate on my point here uh, both wet and dry the the shot creek gunite industry as a whole they tend to be more innovative they tend to think outside the box more they tend to be less like the old guard that says well we can't do it that way because it's never been done and they they tend to just innovate more and, and try to be on that cutting edge. Am, am I wrong in saying that? No. I. It,
3: you know, one of the things is, is that uh, in, in pumping concrete, especially low slump concrete, how it was for a well, it's always been, you know, like a more difficult pumping situation. So, And as you get outside of your box – of your local area, aggregates and materials and different things changes. And that's, a, that's a thing where your like, your product can is really uh, advantageous that you can walk into a situation that's got some marginal. I mean, you have to deal with what you, you have. I can't bring in aggregate from, from, you know, the Pacific Northwest that I'm used to all the time and do a job in, you know, Colorado or Florida or whatever. So you, you, you get these, you have you know your your aggregate sources that you're going to deal with and you need to figure out ways to make that work for you and um, you know the, the that's the great thing about a lot of the additives that think that makes a unpumpable situation an unwinnable situation um, doable without, without making the mistake of just adding cement I, you know, I tell you for years and years, it was the whole thing was was, uh, well, just add another sack to it or just add another sack to that. And everything's going to work out for you. And, and true, you know, eventually you'll get it through the pump. You'll get it to work. But there's a few other problems, as you well know, that all of a sudden uh, a, a 10 and a half sack mix or 11 sack mix uh mm got a few other problems. I mean, I don't know what all this cracking's about and all these other things that are going on. But so I'm happy with those guys. I wish that I could uh, help out in more situations where it was in the out of my control of a, you know, proven mixed design. But I think once you get more strength to uh, you know, it, it with, you know, certain uh, ready mix people solving problems and a lot of that, it goes on, but it's, it's that, uh, qpl list and all these things everything's got to be on it, it personally it drives me nuts too because you guys can have a great product you can have, i can go like hey i can solve this problem for you in two seconds well it's not on my qpl and i'm like oh no it's not because you don't <laughs> you don't know you're not you're not part of the the leading edge and so keep keep plugging man. keep keep out there in uh, they you know i wish it could say over my lifetime it's got easier but i feel i feel a lot of times i'm still walking into the same room i did 25 years ago going like hey we got answers we got we got ways of solving this and they're looking at you with the you know the deer in the headlight look So yeah
0: the the more things change the more they stay the same sometimes but uh, you you did hit on something that i'd like to kind of uh touch on for our listeners that may not be as well-versed in, in shotcrete and gunite, you mentioned the differences of materials and how you'll go to one region of the country, heck, even even a, a region of a state, and your sand and your aggregates, and they'll be different enough to where it'll they'll present different challenges within a mixed design. With your company now, can you elaborate on, I guess, the the region in which you work you know how far you'll travel to a specific job um and then different parts of of where you may go uh, to work and if those raw materials change from from point to point and and what uh, what issues they present
3: i'll tell you you can have it change in a place you've been working in a 100 mile radius for the past 20 years um you know sand sources and their their gradation and again, uh, with low slump concretes and stuff, a gradation change—a small gradation change—can really make a difference in the pumpability. Uh, you know, you all know, and Mason—Mason—be a good example of that. You know, I personally operate in twenty different states, and I've worked from Seattle, Washington, to the Keys in Florida, uh, and up to New York to Buffalo. So I, I've been around and see a lot of different things, and worked with a lot of different places in you know now i've i've got adapted the first thing that i do when i'm outside of my box is take a look at their gradations go like hey send me what sand you got what's in your pile right now just tell me how that's breaking down and i'll put that and chart that and kind of look and and go like "Mm, this is probably where i need to be to have a close to pump you know a good chance it's pumping and and the better i look see those gradations go like man there's not a lot of holes in that that's gonna work good It, it it usually works but sometimes even with people you've been buying from they get a different load of sand in you were pumping yesterday you're pumping you know today and the third truck comes with some new ag in it or whatever and and boom, you're not pumping. First thing out of their mouth is, well, there's something wrong with your pump. I can't pump this stuff. <laughs> I'll, I'll put another pump in line there. And, and, you know, when it's plugging in the reducer, you can pretty much say, hey, we've we've had a change in that. And, uh, you know, to your guys' – I know I've talked to Joey a few times, but, you know, I know that Mason had been in some situations where – Hey, without your guys' stuff, it was boom. It just stopped. The second he ran out, it was his fault. He ran out of your stuff and and his day was over. But um, it's huge. And you need to, you know, I personally like to be able to bring different things to, you know, other than just put more cement in it and create some problems. So
1: I've got a question. You're talking about uh, looking at the gradations and. And you are you were saying it almost sounded like you said you were plugging them into something to get a look uh, when you're saying you're looking at the gradations and and the cement content and the water content. And you're saying, oh, this is going to be fun. Is that just an experience thing or do you have a program you're using? I'd, I, I'd love to find more about what you're doing. I there.
3: actually uh, I got to give uh, uh, Mark Jolene um Canadian guy. I don't like to give the Canadians. You said Canadian. I don't like to give any of those guys credit. But but uh, Joey's familiar with Mark. He's been in the, the ACI and the ASA. Um, since since day one of, of my involvement and and he's a professor uh, that works at a Laval university in uh, Canada and has done an incredible amount he's a shot creator uh, you know I don't I don't say that about guys with phds too often that they're a shot creator that's a <laughs> that's a, a plus but he's a he's a shot creator and he it said a long time ago to me that you know so if you look at your your highs and lows of each one of your gradations so you you've got a chart in there and i just use a simple spreadsheet for it and so you need to stay between the lines according to the rules it's got to be from here to here to here to here but the the bottom line is it, a little bit more important than staying in between the lines is how you mix it, it's going to come out in a, in a shape of an s within those lines and the and the straighter that you can make that regardless of what you think about 75 25 or or 70 30 i'm talking sand to larger aggregate coarse aggregate in in and stuff when you mix those together the the less bounce off of each side you know the less holes that you got in it the better chance you have of it of pumping good mark jolin told me that and gave me the spreadsheet probably a decade ago and i kind of said yeah sure right, whatever, and then I started, I, I, because I'd move around, I'd have to pick a new, you know, make a new mix design, people weren't that familiar when I was in places, and I'd take a look at their aggregate, and I'd go like, dang, it seems like doing like a 65-35 is about right, or maybe 81-19, uh, I found that that these piles of rock were definitely not the same everywhere, and when we were mixing up you know, your, your aggregates for a mix that if I use that chart and kind of made it so that it wasn't bouncing off of one side, it might be a little bit outside the lines, but it was a straighter line that when you don't have holes in it, it doesn't take up cementitious material. That's what fills those holes and you get a lot more utilization, you know, correct utilization of your, of your cementitious materials. So, what And go like, well, that makes sense to me because whenever it was screwed up, what do we do? We just stick more cement in there and start filling up holes. But uh, you, there was another guy. That was another thing that's great about the ASA is that you have uh, you have people, very knowledgeable people. And I'm I'm brain farting on the gal's name because uh, she hasn't been there the last couple of times. Joey, but she uh, wrote a paper on it talking about that type of utilization of of cements and not to go over the top because if you go over the top now you're 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 asking for shrinkage you're asking for other problems that are inherent to that so what you want to find is the right amount of cement with the right with the aggregates you can actually refine that more and I started going down that line going like all right your PhDs you you might have something going on here in figuring that out but that's 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 where that came from i stole it <laughs> uh, good uh,
1: joey might have to steal that from you and i'll steal it from
3: you I, I, no I, problem I, I won't make claim to it i put my name on it though or something so you guys got like yeah put a right. watermark so, on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah tell mark i go I, I don't know where it came from mark
1: it's probably a bigger challenge for you in florida too because uh, as we've learned None of the sand in Florida hardly meets ASTM C thirty three, you know, graded concrete standards. It's almost all outside the line, so I can definitely see where that uh, would come into play for you. But I think it would be a tool that would be very useful for us because we're doing a lot of pumping with the Actigel product, and what we tend to find is that the 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 Actigel is making the mix more robust, so that uh, you can use some of these aggregate gradations that maybe aren't the straight line you're got you got a very curvy s and and it sort of straightens it out for the axles almost straightening it out for you saying all right it's okay you know you can be a little curvy filling uh, in those
3: gaps it's filling in the gaps man it, it,
1: <laughs> but uh but we've got a ways to go in our own education uh in that regard so any any tools you you have man send them over to we take them
3: you know the in the fu- the thing was is that it it's a lot different than – you know, when I first started, like I said, it was uh, – we'll, we'll do 75% of that, 25% of that, and eight sacks of this and have at her. And, and, in fact, my boss at the start was like, well, use seven sacks, and if that works, then stay there. You know, if that's not working, maybe we'll spend some more and, <laughs> and put it into so it. It was more – there wasn't much refinement to it. So I'm down – and this was kind of shocking to me, and, and uh, maybe you guys will – We'll uh, find us out, too. And I'm down in Florida, and the first time I was making some wet mixes, which I don't do that much anymore. But I made some down here. I used that method. I found that that uh, this was out of uh, was up in Jacksonville. I found that they, it, was, it was really what I would consider uh, using a lot more uh, of the larger aggregate, whatever. I, I mean, it was outside of, like, Mark, you sure this thing works, this calculator thing? Because... This doesn't seem right. Um, And so we went and uh, did some trials, did some tests in the yard. I actually turned my project, one of my other project managers on to it, did this. And and it pumped great. And I was like, wow, there is something to what this guy's madness was on there. And the strengths came up phenomenal, like 9,000 PSI out of a out of a wet mix thing nothing else but uh i don't even know i don't even know if i had like eight sack mix that was you know about 800 pounds of of cement tissues um and i'm going like wow i can't believe that that was right now one of the things that was turns out to be different i've argued this before and i don't know where Actigel works in this uh situation the the boiled absorption, the actual absorption of the material was still so tied to the aggregate that it was horrible. So they did the tests and and, and it was like uh, I forget what with our Canadian friends I'll pick on the Canadians because uh, I know a couple that were were big pushers up but they said it should be around six percent on your boiled absorption and I'm at like nine. I mean, there's not a whole one there. I mean, I got great strength. I got great consolidation, beautiful gun barrel holes out of the test panels. And I'm not even close on, on that absorption. Uh, maybe that absorption, you know, is really going to have some play in in its long-term durability, but that's not something that I can deal with there. So, but I'm, so I'm arguing the fact that a lot of, there's not a lot, but some of the members of the ASA were talking about, well, if it's got that, you know, you're not doing your shotcrete right. And I'm like, brother, I'm doing the shotcrete portion of it right. This is the limitations of the, of the local materials. And you have to assess that. Um, If local materials aren't going to work or there's another way around it, you know, I don't know what kind of testing you guys have done to see what the up and down is on, on uh, those things. But, you know, all our stuff out here in the marine environment from silica fumes and in other things is you know about what you can do with the uh, permeability and, and keeping salts and keeping nasty stuff from getting to the steel so just another one of those things you just kind of live and learn i in, in seattle i'd be the opposite i would have been you know 75 78 percent. i got a mix design i used up there for for 15 years with with uh 705 pounds of cement 40 pounds of fly ash 75 25 on Santa rock 6500 psi in in 28 days all day long probably in just a couple of days all day long you could you, and and with that granite rock and stuff up there nothing getting through it that's you go to portland Not anywhere that far go to portland and those guys look go like man ain't gonna work down here so it's all over the place you got to be able to to fix what they got
0: well said yes that's that's a great tagline you got to be able to fix what they got
3: (laughs) i'm more of a half full guy i like it you know the, the, the the glass is half full it ain't half empty i i think that that uh, for us in in our particular industry, uh, having three three eighteen validate it is you know another way to do it is just going to open some more doors. Um, I can't give away my secrets of where I work and what's going on. Well, but I have certain jurisdictions that that their uh, acceptance is growing, and that's my goal is to get other places. You know, I, I never wanted to be like a shot creep bragger that saying, you know, well, the impact is the, you know, the difference and all that. I can I can place concrete with especially in the repair industry with your highest level of, of bond to the substrate uh, economically, more economically than you can do it any other way and have it be a, a very durable, long lasting uh i'll put it up against any other system that you want to do so so why am i having to argue that why do i have to, well you need that formed and poured. i'm like well if you want it to be less than what you would get with this method you cannot i, I always go with the bonding agent stuff you can't stick glue in between two layers of of metal when you want to when you want to you know something to be together you got to weld it it's got to weld together you can't put a layer of stuff and be anything better than what that layer of stuff is and i'm always going I've you know got a core that sits on my desk somewhere around here that is 100 year old substrate material with shock tree bottom and you can feel it i've handed it to engineers all over the place that that you can't tell me that there's a a, a bond plane there. You can't feel it. You can't see it, and it doesn't break at it when you pull it apart. It breaks in the substrate. Uh, so why would you want? Why would you want less? And it's kind of blown me away over the years that I got to sit there and, and argue and argue. And another thing, I just got to say it for you know on behalf of the ASA and, and all of it that you know they put a lot of time into that that and also explaining that. Ninety percent of your failures and your problems are from not doing it correctly. They really are, and you could do that with concrete too. If you want to look around and find you do a crappy concrete job, yeah, it doesn't work out for you too well. And there's no difference in the in the shotcrete industry. If you don't do a good a good job on your substrate, you got no chance of having a a good project. And if you don't, you know. Wet it down. I'm another one of those guys that really argues. Well, it needs to be saturated surface dry, and I'm like, you can't get it too wet. A vertical soft. You cannot get that wall too wet or have too much. The second I put the dry gun in or a wet mix gun, the impact stuff is going to get rid of any surface water that was there. I'm not telling you to shoot underwater, but don't let it dry out. Don't worry about having. Oh well, is that surface just right? take your hose and sit in front of it with and hose it down in front of you and shot right behind it you're not gonna have uh you're not going to have a problem you're gonna have benefits from that so
2: Paul Josh you got anything <laughs> else for you uh, let Marcus get on with his day
1: it was a pleasure Marcus Sorry. it was
3: all right hey man thanks again Joey. thanks guys for uh pushing the word on the shotcrete and the stuff that you do so y'all have a good one man
2: yeah. We appreciate you coming on. If you ever want to talk hunting or anything else, you just call See you, me. See you, buddy. Thank, you. Thank you, Marcus.
0: And that's going to do it for episode 12 of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete podcast. One final thanks to Marcus for being such a great interview. We had a great time and uh, hopefully you enjoyed it as well. Tell your friends about us and be sure to subscribe and give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts and be on the lookout for the next one. That'll be episode 13 of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete podcast. And it'll be available middle of January and the end of January. We'll be sure to get you guys at least one more podcast out before February rolls around. Uh, I'd like to give a, a shout out and a big thanks to our presenting sponsor. That's ActiGel 208. Make sure to check those guys out at actagel.com. That's A-C-T-I hyphen dot com. Also, some of the stuff we talked about uh, at the beginning of the show in the current event section. Uh, make sure you check those links out. They will be in the show notes. So, until next time, y'all be good.